0: Good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. So glad you are here today. Holiday weekend, too. Look at you guys. Nice job. It. Uh, my name is Brent. I'm teaching pastor here. If this is your first time, you picked a great day to come check us out because we are doing kind of a st- – usually we teach in like a series type thing, but I figured with the holiday and everything else, and I wanted to do kind of a standalone talk today, so just a, a one-and-done sort of thing. I also want to address, before we get started, a little bit of the elephant in the room. If you walked in and kind of leaned to somebody and went – is it smelling here? Is, is, is there something about it? We sealed our floors this week, like this whole like sealer deal, and we did it on Tuesday, thinking that that would be enough time to kind of, uh, kind of let the air out. And then we came in yesterday to kind of set things up, and I was like, ooh, this is reeky still. And uh, we thought about posting something out, just because we know, you know, there's some people that are uh, super sensitive, respiratory stuff or whatever. Posting out something on our Facebook page that says, oh, we're changing this. It's going to be Get High Sunday at Eastlake. Um, <laughs> And then uh we we thought there'd be some people would be like, oh yeah, get high on Jesus. And we'd be like, no, 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 get high on polyurethane, because that's what we have going on. So just be careful if if uh, if you're older or whatever and, and can't handle that kind of stuff. But uh we we feel like not older, sorry, that's offensive. <laughs> I heard some of you here go, oh. Uh yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, anyways, um Yeah. Um we uh we, uh, but I'm excited. It seems like it's good. So uh, we are doing a standalone talk. As I mentioned, I should transition quickly to this. All right. Um, every once in a while, this is a fun weekend for me because we're right before like a fall launch weekend. Um, typically summertime is a lot of like, home teamers in terms of we don't get as many guests as we typically do during the fall and the rhythms of kind of back to school and all that kind of stuff. Um, and especially on a weekend like this, uh, we just recognize it's probably... A good chance that you've been to Eastlake before, and we're super glad about that, and uh, a chance to talk about, uh, in the past, use this weekend as kind of alignment weekend for us, making sure that everything's kind of good to go before we get into our busy season. Um, Similar to, like, you've gone to a chiropractor to be like, hey, like, nothing's really broken, but if you could just kind of make sure I'm in full alignment so that it's smooth and and I'm walking and all that kind of stuff. So consider this the chiropractic checkup kind of weekend for us. Uh, as it relates to uh, how how we do what we do. Um, In the past, we've done Use This Weekend. Last week, we launched... Uh, All of our Wear Love campaign stuff, base camp out of this. We said, all right, we're going to be. We recognize that for us, um, giving yourself away is an important part of kind of spiritual growth. It's like the next big thing as opposed to just coming and and learning more. Um, We've used this to kind of launch our community marketplace two years ago. Two years ago was um, life is is best not done in isolation and 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 personal faith is not something that is done in isolation. It's done in group format and and connecting and community and, and all that kind of stuff. So today. Uh, I want to address something that we talked about very early on when we launched this church, and it shows up again in one-on-one. If you've never taken a one-on-one class, uh, um, but uh, this idea of uh, our evangelism kind of strategy, which is like churchy language, because evangelism strategy sounds like. I'm gonna give you these little coupon books to go and hand out to people. I'll be like, hey, do you know where you're going when you die? They look like a twenty dollar bill, and then you're always pissing off the waitress and all that kind of stuff. Um, not that one, and not like the whole hold the sign on the corner. And we're not issuing signs out today. And you know, you get to you get to pick which corner you want to go to and go hold the signs. Nothing like that. But how do you get the word out about what you believe, or how do you? What is your what is our process, our strategy for? being a part of kind of listening to Jesus when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, like this missional go outreach sort of strategy. And so, and, and here's what we knew. Here's what we knew going into this thing. It is really genuinely difficult for even somebody like me who grew up in church and kind of knows all the ins and outs of, of church stuff, to transition the conversation between our between one of my friends towards the idea of church or religion or spirituality in general, it's hard to be like, "Hey, how about those coos last night? Do you know where you're going if you die? You know what I mean? Like that's as 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 easy as some people try and make it sound. It's not. It doesn't. It's not natural. It's not a natural conversation. And and then to even invite them to church, you're like. you you, you try and figure out the selling points of something like this. And they find out you go to church and they're like, really, you, a church person, you don't strike me as a church person. And you try and be like, well, it's kind of different. It's like, it's in an old theater and kind of smells like polyurethane and whatever. Uh, I think you might actually actually like it. And we've tried to be, a place that is easy to invite your friends to. And that was a big strategy for us kind of moving into this. Um, And you hear it in our mission statement uh, over and over and over again. Uh, I say it almost every single week in some way or shape or form of we exist to be a church for people. We want to be a church that for people who don't typically enjoy church, they might actually be like, I don't usually like this, but I kind of like that one. Like I'm okay with a little bit of that. And the reason. We like that is because we feel like it lines up with what we see in the life and the teaching of Jesus. I think most people would, in Jesus' time, the people who, who are attracted to Jesus would be people who'd be like, normally I'm not attracted to holy, you know, religious, righteous people but I am kind of to him. They would flock to him. He did not have buildings to come to. He did not have church services. He did not have typical modern day church problems. We have so many people. Where are we gonna fit them all? We're gonna add multiple services. We're gonna do live teaching on screens and we're gonna have films over here. We're gonna do this. And and we have an an app so you can give me an app, all that kind of stuff. He didn't have any of those problems. He would just sit under a tree, begin to relate to things about life and people were drawn to him, specifically people who were nothing like him. People uniquely were not turned off by his holiness and his righteousness. They were like, that's, he is, he's better than me for sure. But I, for some reason, it's not a turnoff here. And we've all been a part of, we've been around religious people who their holiness and their righteousness is a turnoff and you're a Christian. And you're like, I'm just turned off by that. I don't get it. And you're like, a- a- and-, and-, and they don't get it and they don't understand. And this is true for even Jesus' time. Because look at this in Luke chapter 15. Uh, here's what he says uh, at the very beginning of this thing. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with... Now listen, he's got this crowd, he's got this group of people, and I like to think that I can be the type of Christian or pastor where people who are nothing kind of like me in terms of the standards of religious holiness and all that kind of stuff, or whatever. Like they're just like that's fine for you, but that's not fine for me. But I still enjoy hanging out with you. I still, I'm not turned off by the fact that you're a pastor. Like the conversation doesn't change. Like I like it when I can have a conversation with somebody like, yeah. So in the, I say, what do you do for work? Well, I'm this, I'm this. What do you do for work? I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden, like the cigarette goes like, oh, behind the leg. You know what I mean? Like, oh, interesting. How long have you been doing that, right? And I'm like, you're burning your legs down there. So <laughs> I, I, I'd rather have it to be like one of those things. I want to be the type of Christian when they find out, they're like, okay, hey, that, that makes sense based on kind of how I've seen it. And, and then I'm like, it's attractive. It's appealing. It's not like, okay, well, you, then you do your thing and I'll, I'll do my thing. And that's what we see. They're, they're huddled around Jesus. They're drawn towards him. People who are nothing like him liked him. And he liked people who were nothing like him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And the reason that he ate and dined with sinners is because they were constantly inviting him into their homes. Why? Why? because they were comfortable with the most holy and righteous man who ever walked the face of the earth. And so we go back to this muttering, why are these religious leaders, priests, pastors of the day muttering that Jesus, you know, we're so frustrated that Jesus would do this. Is it because they're drawing a crowd, or he's drawing a crowd that they can't draw perhaps, but they kind of purposely exclude them anyway, so why would they be mad about that? I think more so than, than not, or the more thing that's more, uh, more pertinent in this area is why isn't he hanging out with us? Why isn't he, as a holy and righteous person, choosing to hang out with holy and righteous people like ourselves? Like, what is he thinking? Doesn't he know? Why would he ever do something like that? And so for us, knowing this, and we're gonna go into looking at some stories about why this takes place. I knew from the very beginning when we started this church, we are gonna be a different t- sort of thing. I wanna be a place where anybody and everybody feels comfortable inviting somebody to church and knowing what they're signing up for every single week. You're not having to guess. and I'm be like, gosh, I hope it's not missions weekend. I hope we're not triple offering weekend. I hope it's not like some guest speaker that's like, you know, all of a sudden it's crazy. Our promise is that it's like a consistent practical teaching sort of an environment for this. That is, by the way, hyper aware of the fact that there may be people in the audience and hopefully there are people who do not believe the same things that we do. And not only are we like, you can be here, that's fine. You are invited to participate in that. Like we design part of this with that sort of those sort of people in mind. And whether you've been a part of a church forever and you, you just can appreciate that, or you, you've come from a no church environment. You have a church history, but it's like not good. It's one of those church histories. And you felt in, for the very first time, you felt like, I'm invited to participate in a meaningful way that doesn't turn me off to the whole idea of God faith, whatever. And if I have one, we've been doing this thing now for about nine years. Um, October 10th will be our nine-year birthday. My one concern that I have about Eastlake is that we never, never drift away from the central thing that was the reason why we started this. And it relates to this big idea. When a church develops environments that are no longer conducive to unchurched people, they don't show up. They stop showing up. If we ever, if we ever get so involved in the programming and the ministry and this and that and the other thing and fail to take into account the fact that there are people who are not religious who need to be here and we need to create space for them and need to be about them, if we are not aware of that and do not create environments that are conducive to them being here, they will self-select and not show up. And that might not seem like a big deal, but that is the death knell, by the way, of every church. And we'll talk about why that's the case. And that may be the case for a church that you grew up in, and it just became, at one point, it was all about outreach. At one point, it felt like, really, we we want you to go and tell your friends about Jesus and bring him here. And then after, and over time, it, like every organization, arrows in, becomes all about itself and all about the internal functions of this. And Let's make sure we're taking care of each other first and here and, and the priority begins to shift and all of a sudden there's an absence, there's something missing, there's there's nothing outward looking in this way, and it no longer relates to what we see typified in the life and the teaching of Jesus. So he meets with these, 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 these people. He's got a group of, uh, of sinners and tax collectors. And on the outskirts, he's got the, the, uh, the hyper-religious people overhearing him. And he's about to tell these stories that is going to be offensive to both of these categories. What I'm telling you today is probably one of the most offensive Jesus teachings ever. Now, it doesn't come across like that. I'm going to tell you why it's offensive in a little bit. And maybe, and you may not have ever seen it before, but listen, he is equal opportunity offender in this story. And I cannot wait for you to hear why you should be offended at what he talks about. All right, verse three. Then Jesus told them this parable. in light, Knowing that he's got religious righteous people uh, in the background and knowing that he's got non-religious, you know, not kicked out of church every time people come up, what are you doing here? That kind of thing. Knowing he's got both categories of people, he decides to tell a, story, a series of three lost things. Uh, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. I talked a little bit about the lost son last week, so I'm not, I'm, I'll skip through that one a little bit faster than the other two. But let's talk about the first lost thing. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? It's a rhetorical question in Jesus' sense. He's like, you kind of know this. You've seen this. If you've ever lost... Something, your attention becomes hyper focused on that thing that you've lost. When something is lost, the thing becomes the focus of your attention, not the things that are secured. Have you ever lost your wallet? And you have that feeling that comes with that feeling of loss. It consumes you for weeks. You begin to like, you stress about it. You, you sweat about it. You think about it. You're like, where did I leave it? Where did I leave it? And somebody, somebody that you love comes up to you and says, where was the last place that you remember seeing it? And you say to them, if I knew that, I wouldn't be talking to you about it, would I? Right? Right? And then, and then all, if you're like me, all you can think about is what you could have bought with the cash that was still in the wallet, but now that it's gone and it, you can't get it back, and it's not even the credit cards because you can call and cancel those, but it's, the, it's all the other things in there. It's like, uh, I had seven stamps on that roaster's card. Dang it, I was three away. And now it's just gone. Now I just like, I'm, I'm paying full price for these things and I'm back to square one. It just feels like, ah, uh-huh. You become hyper-focused. You go crazy looking for that thing. You spend if say there was X amount of dollars in it, right? You spend X amount of your time, which translates to way more than it's than it's worth into looking for that thing. And when he finds it, verse five, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing. He quantifies a level of uh Joy, a level of involvement, and a level of, uh, of attention here. There will be more in rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Keep in mind his audience live that day. The, nine, the, the, the one sinner who repents represents all of the front row people who gathered to hear him. They're sitting there going, oh, that's nice, that's very good. And all the 99 righteous people along the back, all of the religious leaders of the day is just doing, not nodding their heads. They are shaking their heads like this. Like, what are you talking about? There will be more rejoicing in heaven Listen, if you're an already convinced person, this should be offensive to you. If you've grown up in church and you've kind of never wanted, faith has always been kind of a thing. And and you've, you, sometimes you've questioned like, did I ever really choose this or was it kind of chosen for me because of my parents? And i have just kind of like, you know, I like church. I like the community aspect of it. I, I think I'm, you know, good with God. I want to try and be a good person. I want to be uh, a spiritually aware of myself. And I just want to train my kids and I want to raise them up. Actually, Brent, what I want you to do is I want you to do classes, host things so you can train them about you verses, and I'll just make sure that you're doing a good enough job. Uh, and we'll make that thing work. But I, 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 I want to, I, I'm, I'm partial to this. If you've never wondered that what this is saying is that God's attention is hyper-focused on the sinner who has walked away from the faith or never been a part of it in the first place. And there's more, there's more rejoicing for them to turn than for you to show up every single week to your Bible study. Well, the fact that you brought your Bible to church 16 weeks in a row. That's impressive. Nice job. He says, no, there's more rejoice. He quantifies in this way. He's more concerned about the outsider than the insider. And then he goes on as if like, maybe you didn't get it. Maybe, you know, you're like, eh, I don't think I agree with that. But okay, let me, he goes on. Verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. And this would not be like she's lost, you know, 10% of her savings. This would be like sort of a family heirloom of sorts, uh, the history behind this would be like some sort of a dowry. this would be something that she would wear to kind of signify a gift from her dad that would go to her family when she gets married and to lose it would be like you know this symbolic you would this would be not something that you would pawn off right Un- unless dire circumstances. this would be embarrassing to her it would be embarrassing to her family her dad 's name all of that kind of stuff so there 's kind of some dynamics going on as opposed to just like she had ten silver coins and she lost one what a, what a bummer there 's more to it than that but Even so, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of of God over one sinner who repents. In light of both these stories, this should make everybody in this room uncomfortable because you're either secondary or you've been objectified. So you're saying that I'm lost. Like if you're not really like a religious person, you come here and you hear me say this about Jesus, so you'd be like, okay, so I'm like I'm a, I'm a I'm a lost coin to you. Is that what I am to you? You're gonna talk about investing and inviting. So I'm like i I'm a, I'm a I'm a lost sheep. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sheep to you. You're gonna like tell me I you know you're gonna have people kind of invest in my relationships so that they can get me to church, and then when I show up, all I realize like oh they didn't really like me. They just like fulfilling some sort of a religious obligation to make this thing happen. Or you're going to say, I don't really feel lost. Why would you call me, Jesus would say, this this is, this is person is lost. Well, I mean, am I really lost? You can be lost without realizing you're lost if you've ever driven somewhere or had a wife in the car with you while you're driving. You, you, you can know this. Like You can be like, I'm not lost. And she's like, you're lost. And you're like, "I." the sunrise in the east sets in the west. And we're heading west. I know we're not lost. Now, I don't know exactly where I'm in or where I'm going, but To be considered lost sometimes can be very, very offensive. It can feel like this religious uh, in-out sort of language, Um, and yet that's exactly what Jesus is saying in here. And and we we kind of categorize and say, how can I be lost from God? Isn't he sovereign? when he kind of know where I'm at? The reality is we're not talking about being lost spatially. He's talking about being lost and disconnected relationally. This is why when he goes into the story of the lost son, this is the third part of the, the, the third of three stories. He says there was a son who you know, wanted some money to go away and said, went to his dad and said, you're better off dead to me than alive. Let's, let's pretend, let's play a game. Let's pretend you're dead. Why don't you give me all the money I'm due? I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna live my own life. And he goes off and he squanders it in a wild, raucous living. And the prodigal son, having spent everything, wakes up one day and says, I, I, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a rock bottom. I'm at the worst possible spot. I've made a huge mistake. I need to go back to my dad, ask him, beg him and plead him for at least a, like a servant job. Nothing even big, right? Just go back. And the story is he, he wakes up one day, decides he's gonna do this. And we mentioned this last week. He's, and he goes home and the father sees him from a long way off, runs out to him, arms open wide and invites him back in. And not only like back into like the household, but back into the family, like this open embrace, like I don't have, you know, you know you have some explaining to do. You want to kind of talk your way into it before he even gets going on the speech. He lets him know, and he communicates. It. And this is great news, by the way. If if you are an outsider, if if you're either watching this online or or you showed up or whatever, and you're like, I'm I'm that person. I'm like I'm the lost one. I know I don't. It's funny to not feel you know not want to be called lost, but like. The reality is, like, I've never, faith has never been a thing for me, or church has never been a a thing for me, or I've kind of been doing my own life. And at some point, there's been some circumstances, some conversations, or some things that have caused me to sort of start rethinking spirituality and faith. And what do I believe about the existence of a God? And if there is one out there, then, you know, is there any sort of accountability that I need to do good by Him in in some sort of way, shape, or form? And so, my message to you would be this the the beauty of this story, of Jesus telling the story is that if and when you decide to return, if and when you decide to, you know what? This is my best option moving forward, I come home. He sees from a long way off. He does not have a laundry list of things that you did while you were gone, being like, it's a good thing you turned around because this is getting really long. This is gonna take a lot of catching up to do. He doesn't have anything like that. He welcomes you with open arms and said, I'm so glad you're back. Let's not talk about that period of your life any longer. Let's move forward from that area. The rest of the story is one that I didn't go into last week because I knew I wanted to talk about it this week. It's about the older brother. Remember, the father had two sons. So far, we've only, the prodigal son, when we said the prodigal story, the prodigal son, there's really two sons in this story. Here's the second version of it, or the second part of the act two, if you will. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son is in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. All these years, I've been home. I've done all of the things. I have showed up to church. Even on Labor Day weekend, I showed up. People don't go to church on Labor Day weekend. I did. I did. Yet you never even gave me a young goat. I mean, how many times have we said that, God? You haven't even given me a goat. I got nothing. So I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, which by the way, he plugs in prostitutes there, by the way. We don't know that there was those involved, but like when the story gets told and you're trying to paint the picture worse, we do that too, right? He spent his time with raucous living, probably prostitutes. (laughs) He comes home. You killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me in everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because of this brother of yours who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Three times, Jesus tells a story, and in the story, the father figure or the, the lost thing garners more attention the thing that, than the thing that was secured at home. She doesn't lose one coin and go, that's all right. I'll just count my nine up. i just keep counting my nine. That's fine. He doesn't lose a sheep and be like, you know what? That's all right. I've got, I got 99 here in the open country, let's, but I'll just keep counting these ones. Jesus would say, this is why I spend my time with unreligious people, because they are the preeminent focus of the father. The preeminent focus of the father is on those who are far away from him, who are living a life of brokenness relationally to him. The word that he uses or the language in that last parable is my son who was dead is now alive. Obviously, he did not think the son was physically dead, but he was dead to me relationally. There was no relationship. There was, no, there was nothing there any longer. And now he's back, he's alive again. And that, my son, is worth celebrating. Celebrating. The local church that forgets that part of the father's heart really misses it entirely. To go through and not be as passionate about people who are dead relationally to him or far away from him relationally to him and not be a part of the reconciliation process and not going out and searching are really and truly and honestly in a tough, tough, difficult spot now, there's two applications that can be made here. One for the lost son and one for the person who stayed home. One for the younger brother, one for the older brother. And you get to, again, equal opportunity offender. You get to decide which category uh, you're in. I'll talk about the application for each one of these things. The first one is the younger son who's lost and walks away from all of that stuff. And you might be sitting there going, well, you know, that feels like, as much as I don't want to be considered lost like or talked about because that feels negative, like, you're kind of talking about me. I've kind of done my own thing. The fact that, here's here's my little thing for you. Don't be offended at that because the fact that you are lost or that God calls you lost, rather, reflects the idea that he considers you to be valuable. Listen, we don't know where a lot of stuff in our life is, but the things that we consider valuable when we don't know where it's at, it's lost. If it's not valuable, it's not lost. I just don't know where it is right now. Let me give you an example. Where's your high school diploma right now? exactly. My mom's basement, some sort of cat. At one, one day of your life, that was really important to you, wasn't it? You got all dressed up, the band played, you did your thing, you walked across the stage, you did something exciting. You wanted to make sure I got it. Don't want to be the guy, the only guy in my family didn't get it. Where is it now? Probably don't even know. Is it lost? Well, no, I just, I'm not really looking for it. So, I mean, I don't know. It's not all that valuable to me right now. So I really don't consider it to be lost. So when Jesus and God says that you're you're lost, it's because he considers you to be valuable. And by the way, the more valuable something is, the more intense the search for that thing becomes. When it's really valuable, when it's something I need right here and now, we become obsessed with the search. This is why you get Amber Alerts on your phone. The state organizes this thing. When a lost child has been, like, we're looking for a lost child and it's in some sort of vehicle and here's the license plate number and the last known whereabouts. It goes out to everybody and we never call the government be like, hey, how'd you get my number? What is, this? what is the relevance to me? Can you please take me off this Amber alert list? We would never do that. They're like, hey, dude, sorry it's inconvenience for you but it's a lost child, we should all be, if we're gonna be a part of a community, you should care about that. You should be not like, it's really annoying. Can you just take me off that list? Even if that's possible, I had somebody come up and go, I think that's possible, I think you can actually get taken off the list. The fact that you would look for that, what kind of does that say about you as a person? It's a lost kid, man. We come together for that kind of crap. We (laughs) Kind of crap, sorry. Take it, reverse it, whatever, you know what I mean? Don't be offended that God considers you lost or that I just used craft in my message to talk about a lost kid. You should be honored. You should be honored. All right, second application. This is for the older brothers. This is for those of us who grew up in church, man. We know this thing. We know the the ritual. We we like Eastlake because it's been kind of a different like take on it than what we're used to. But like we know we can appreciate the uniqueness of Eastlake because we know the alternatives to it because we grew up in that kind of thing, all right? The application for those of us in that way is a question. Have we joined our heavenly father in the search or are we just gathering in the camp, around the campfire hoping somebody gets found? Jesus says, go into all the world and be like, yeah, yeah, we should probably do that. There's people who need to hear about the gospel. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Brittany Silker's in, in Haiti doing this thing. That's really cool, that's good for her. I wanted to travel when I was a kid too. Have we joined our heavenly father in the search or are we just gathering a campfire hoping somebody gets found. Imagine a child lost in the woods. Remember that, like, the shack book that was really popular a few years ago? It was about a uh, lost child in, uh, I don't want to ruin the story, it was in Wallawa Lake. We used to camp in Walla Lake a bunch, so it was like a, like, I knew when you read the book, like, I know where the go-karts are, I know where the ice cream shop is. Anyways, lost child in the woods, can you imagine the emotions involved in that? That was your kid. And all of a sudden, the community comes out for the search party. They're like, we're going to go search. And you stand in front of the spotlight, and you're like, all right, he's about this big uh, he's wearing a blue hat, he's got some hiking boots on. The last time we saw him was on this trail right here, and everybody's sitting there going, all right, all right, all right, all right. everybody break, and then they go around a campfire and they talk about what they just heard. They're like, yeah, so I think what he said was he's about this big and uh blue hat and hiking boots, yeah. Is that what you heard? That's what we heard, yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. And then they go to bed and the next morning they wake up, they make breakfast, and, and and then at breakfast somebody brings out a book about searching. And they're like, let's talk about what it means to search. Here's five steps to searching and searching effectively. And and nobody goes out searching. Could you imagine being the parent looking at that and not being frustrated at being like, what are you doing? You don't need to know the five steps about searching. You'll figure it out when you get out and do that. Keep your eyes level with the horizon. Good grief, man. That's common sense if you're out doing it. Or we can meet about it and talk about how good it would be to start searching. And we have these plans and we're gonna, we're gonna search someday. Where's the urgency in all of this? And I don't have a verse for this at, at all. But in my interaction with kind of church world or whatever, the group of searchers who stop searching will eventually feel the absence of the one who has called us to be searching. Searching the group of searchers who stop searching will eventually feel the absence of the one who is called to be searching. A few years ago, my dad, uh, they had a big celebration at his church because he'd been there for 25 years, which is a significant thing. That's a long time in any sort of vocation. And, and uh, they did like a big, cool deal. And they invited uh, me and, and my sisters to come, and they wanted me to come speak on behalf of the kids. And so... I stepped up and and said a lot of nice things about my dad, all of them true. Uh, And I I said, one of the reasons that I got into ministry is because my dad did an exceptional job of keeping all of the junk that is involved in ministry outside of the home. So all I saw were like the good parts. So I was like, well, that makes sense. I'll just go be a pastor like my dad. Um, And then I also said uh, on behalf of my sisters and I, um, we had to we would constantly sit and listen to my dad talk about how to live a Christian life and how to be a good you know human being all that kind of stuff, and live in, in the way that christ taught and whatever and never really once did I sit there in the front row because he would always that 's where he needed me because you know that's kind of high school it was anyways um and say or under my breath or in my mind, hypocrite, never once did i did I be like, yeah, I mean, you say that, but like come on, I know right because it live with you, all that kind of stuff. So, and then I concluded the message with something that I about 80% believe to be true. But you know how sometimes you want to say something to your kid to like speak into them what you want to see from them, but you don't actually believe it? You're like, all right, buddy, go out and get that goal. And as soon as he like is far enough out of range, he's like, he ain't going to score a goal today. He's not, he just doesn't have the will. He's just not talented enough. It's cool that he's there, though, man. Like, good for him for, like, trying real hard. All that matters is trying, buddy. It's more than that, but it's fine. That's what he needs to know right now, right? But you say things because you want them to be like, yeah, I can do this. So anyways, I I get up at that 25-year banquet, and I start talking about knowing that, by the way, the entire leadership team of this church is there. I was on staff there for five and a half years. And uh, and knowing kind of like how traditional churches kind of kind of you know ebb and flow and do this kind of thing, and I said, here's here's the incredible thing. Um, my dad, I feel like we have been able to start a church for people who don't typically like church because my dad has always had that heart in every ministry that he's been, hyper aware of a God who is craving a relationship with people who are far from Him, and we're willing to design and sacrifice almost anything to make sure that they feel invited to participate, to build a church where there are conducive environments for people who are far from God, because if we don't have those conducive environments, they will not show up. And I said, I, I, I see that, and I, I see that in everything that he's done, hyper-focused for, towards the outsider, matching the heart of, his, of, of the Father. And, I, and I, I believed about 80% of that, but I was trying to get him to be like, yeah, this is good, because I, I know that they're like this, you know, it's... Um, it's an older church, and there's, there's uh, there's like, decisions that need to be made, and budgeting decisions need to be made, and all that kind of stuff. And the leadership team, their entire board is there. About 20 minutes later, they do some other things, a slideshow and, and uh, you know, dessert and everything else and whatever. And then one of the other board members gets up, and she begins to talk about why she appreciates Pastor Daryl in the ministry and begins to, if I swung in this direction, it was a clear move to get it back to. We are so thankful for a pastor who invests in the people who sacrifice so dang hard for this church and build this. We're so glad for somebody who does this, who doesn't forget about the people who've given their time and their money and their things over the years, who loves the people who love faith, right? And it was a it was a tangible difference. It was as if she saw me trying to pull them this way. And she's like, yeah, hold on, wait a second, bring it back. And my dad's just happy to be there. He's like, free dessert and people are talking about me? This is great. He's an Enneagram seven, so he's like, this is the best. This is so awesome. Tell me how good I am, right? I love him, so he's great. But you could feel the difference. And it, and it, it wasn't like disappointing, I'm not saying that. Like they have, they're, they're doing their own thing in this way, but I, I get this, man, I understand like, I don't know how you can read Luke 15 and not want to be a part of a community. And by the way, it's not just a church service thing. Like, we're going to talk about how it's just it's more than just that. But how can you not be a part of being on a search? How can you not be involved in going out and searching And, and as opposed to just talking about the searching thing? So our, our big idea that we came up with when we launched this thing a year ago is this language that I heard from somebody a while back called invest. And invite. I invest and I invite. What is our evangelism strategy? It's simple. It's two words invest and invite. If you go through Eastlake 101, you're going to see this. You're going to see a little uh, spot on, I think it's question number one or two. Who in your life right now do you feel like a unique divine call to invest in that relationship and hopefully invite them to a place where they get to? experience the challenge of what Christian beliefs kind of look like and how do you deal with that kind of stuff. It may be a Sunday morning environment. That's great. It might be a, a where love event. That's great, too. It might be a, a base camp. It might be starting point. It might be uh, a small group. It might be a conversation with you and in, in the family or, uh, around the fire pit or something like that. I don't know what that looks like. And, by the way, this is not employed to, like, build these, like, in this giant mega church. That's not the point. The point is, and you might even they may you might have somebody who you feel divinely called to, who you know just because of their nature and because of the fact that I used crap in the you know beginning of the service or whatever, we just don't have it all together. That this would not be the right place for them. They expect a little bit more polished of a product. We're going to take them somewhere else, but it's cool. We love our church for for the moment, and that's fine. That's so great. I don't even care. But who do you feel uniquely called to invest into that relationship with a purpose of? Trend of making that transition. And I'm not saying that they're a project and you find that, I get that. I understand there's like, a, oh, then they just feel like a project. Kind of, I, I get it, I understand, but what, you're, you're not trying to take anything from them. You're not trying to make money off of them like some weird pyramid scheme. You're trying to get them to wrestle with the claims of Christianity. That's kind of a big deal. Like, that's, that's okay, we want that, I want that. I want you to know that that, that there's a God who loves you and is crazy about you and would love for you to turn around and come back home and welcomes you with open arms in that way. I'm talking about our prayers, becoming obsessed with openings to have influence in somebody else's life with the goal of seeing them come to faith in Christ, which is why on that little sheet at 101, you'd say, who are three people? Who's who's somebody? Give me a name of somebody that you're not related to. Right now you feel like, You've got a chance to be able to spend the next couple of months in doing some things, inviting them over for a little college football, a little NFL football, a little something, doing the dinner thing, making it happen, and, and saying, Hey, I know this is great. Adelaide Field, would you consider checking this out? We're just starting a new series. We're doing this. We've got a small group. This, this event. We're going to go serve in the community. You want to be a generous person, don't you? Yes, come on. Let me help you in this way. Who is it that you are feeling uniquely called to? Listen. When we do that, we resonate with the heart of a Heavenly Father who loves us like crazy. This last week, um, I heard the two words that have been showing up way too often in our life, but they're painful to hear. My wife comes around the corner, and she goes, where's Clive? Clive is our almost two-year-old. And I'm in the living room reading... A book or something, doing something. She comes around the corner, where's Clive? And I go, I don't know, I thought you had him. She goes, I thought you had him. I said, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. We're pointing the fingers, probably me. It doesn't matter. We begin the search for Clive in our house. Not that big of a house, but every, and when you start the search, you're like at like this level of anxiety. And then as you eliminate all of the different options, it goes up exponentially. Clive, buddy, where you at, buddy? That he's not in there, so then it's this one, not in there, not in there, and all of a sudden you're just like, and you're just like that, that sick feeling. And then you see that the front door's propped open just a little bit, and you're like, oh, and we live like on oh, like right kind of like a busy street right here. And you're like, he's one and a half, we're, we're not sure what's going on. And, and so we go outside and we see, we see our neighbor with Clive in, in tow pulling him back from the mailbox across the street, like, hey, buddy, what are you looking for? You waiting for a package? Why don't you come home with us? You know what I mean. And we're like, now we feel bad because, like, they know and we know. And, you know, like that awkward, hey, saw this guy kind of wandering, <laughs> a.k.a., you watch your kid more, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and you're like, ah, and that sick, like you're sick because, you know, the embarrassment of it, you're, you're so happy to find him, but, like, there's just so much emotions. Let me tell you this. That entire, like, it was probably maybe three minutes total. Felt like about an hour, but it was probably about three minutes. At no point in those three minutes did I ever once give a concern for where Grayson was, my other (laughs) six year old son. I was never like, oh, Clive, Clive, where's Grayson? Where's Grayson? Do we know where? I never even thought, listen, I never even thought about him, to be honest. Don't tell him, but I didn't even think about him. And at no point in our search, two and a half minutes into this three-minute search, did I turn to my wife and be like, it's okay, babe, we got three more right here. We have three that need bathing and food right here. It never even occurred to me to bring that up. We were hyper-focused in that moment. Who was the most important kid to find and talk to? The lost one, not the one on the iPad playing Minecraft in the living room. He's fine. He'll be all right. Don't worry about it. We even left them unattended while we went and found Clive in the parking lot. And that's okay. And it makes sense. And as a parent, we know somebody's got an alarm to go pick up a kid or something like that. Anyways, Listen. Here's our commitment, or here's my, the thing that I keep thinking about. If we want to continue to be a church where God shows up, we must continue to be a place where the lost feel free to participate. For us, a, a week of alignment. I, want to, I just want to make sure that we're in this. I want to make sure that we're moving forward with this. We're going into a busy season. It's we just finished off a series that was kind of like an internal focus thing. We we did, like we dove deep in this like awesome stuff about forgiveness and and, and it's like oh that's really good. We're gonna go into a season where it's gonna be a little bit more outreach focused. And I want you to know it's intentional, it's purposeful because if we wanna continue to be a church where God shows up, we must continue to be a place where the lost feel free to participate because he is unbalanced in his affection and his attention towards those people. He so desperately wants that. And our commitment to you, what we want from you is to invest and invite our commitment is we are going to try and do what's difficult sometimes for you to do, which is make the transition and turn the conversation towards faith. We are going to wrestle with things about personal faith that are uh, difficult to like, hey, so and then, you know, what your you take on Jesus? We're gonna, they are gonna know that this is an environment. They're gonna walk in and feel like, okay, this is where I, this is where I come. Like the church has always been like this, like symbolic, this place is sacredness and holiness. And, and, you know, usually it's like this big giant steeple that causes you to like point to the heavens. We just have a weird theater, but that's fine. They could look at me like, sometimes life is a mess. How do I, what does that mean for me in my life, right? So anyways, we will do what's difficult for you which is turn the conversation towards faith. You do what's impossible for us to so know and invest in your neighbor, friend, and coworker. Who is it? Who is it for the next three, six, nine months? Whatever it is, who's, who's God placing in your heart to be like? I need to invest in this relationship. Invite them to somewhere where they can wrestle with the big questions of life as it regards to faith, because our Father is hyper focused on it, and I don't ever want to miss out on it. And I don't want to be a church. I don't want to be a part of a church where we just get together around the campfire and talk about searching. Like, here's this great stuff about this. I want to be out there making it happen. Let's pray. Father, uh, this is uh, difficult for us because, you know, depending on kind of where we find out, we're equally offended. We are either realizing our place is kind of secondary in this or uh, realizing we've kind of been objectified in this. I pray that you would help each and every one of us see and understand the passion. Of the Father to restore relationships with those who have either walked away from faith or it's just never been a p- big piece of it, anyways. We get, an, we get a chance to be a part of the search committee. We get to uh, be a part of resonating with the heart of the Father who is deeply passionate about, about finding the two year old that has walked away. Sometimes at the temporary neglect of the older kid at home who's always just been there, and that's okay. There's weird dynamics at play in all of that. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like to to do that as a church corporately and to take initiative individually in making that a part of our life as well. Give us the courage to do that as a church. In your name, amen.